Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Well, welcome to this week's episode. I'm here back in Zoom land with Max Gagliardi, co-founder of Ancova Energy, host of Talk Energy Podcast, Midstream CCO. He's also got you know interest in energy markets, consulting, and media. I mean, Max, come on, man. Is there anything that you're not into? Because I mean, I never heard of you. And then all of a sudden you started getting on LinkedIn. You're pumping out podcasts. You're pumping out Hollywood production style stuff. <laughs> like what? I mean, dude, you went all in. And I mean, what else do you do? Or is that basically sum it up? Yeah. So we also have a little real estate venture that we work on too. But no, Justin, thank you love it. for getting me on. And I just wanted to tell you, this is the first podcast I've ever been on as a guest. So I really appreciate you inviting me on. I've done a number of these as the host and it, it's fun to be on the other side of it. it so is. I appreciate that. But no, it's kind of been by design. Like what you said, I was zero to a hundred basically on the social media stuff. And, and we can talk about why that is and just sort of all the soul searching that went on in 2020 for a lot of different, for a lot of people, right? Let's start there then. I think that's a great way to get this thing going. So yeah, because again, like I've been on, I'm going to say, I won't say hard on LinkedIn, but I've been invested, you know, quite a bit of time and, and, you know, building the brand, if you will, both personally from, you know, from a business perspective, you know, helping others, connecting people, putting out content to create awareness around certain things. I've witnessed over the, you know, the last couple of years, who's really, you know, gotten a lot of traction. And then all of a sudden here's Max comes on. He's got Alex Epstein, like the biggest voice in energy as like his second or third episode. I was like, Whoa, who's this guy? And so that's what piqued my interest. So I'm curious. Yeah. Go ahead and kind of like, tell us how you got started and where all that fire came from. Sure. So, and first of all, I think getting guests and putting yourself out there, whether that be for a podcast or whether it be just something that you want to do, I think anybody can do that. Right. And I think a lot of in life is just asking, right? I think I've, it's like, I always go by don't ask, don't get. And I've actually did some of this on one of my direct messages. I talked about it, but basically you just have to put yourself out there and half the battle. I think sometimes is just setting a site and setting a goal and being like, Hey, I want to, I want to go after this. And so and so for that's just how I have always kind of lived my life and for better or for worse, right? You can get off on tangents and get passionate about things and find yourself going down <laughs> rabbit trails and things like that. But but the podcast specifically 2020, you know, I think this is a story that a lot of people have which is trying to figure out, you know, how do you network and how do you communicate with people in this era of, you know, all the conferences are canceled, all the meetings are canceled, no dinners, no lunches. And as somebody that is in a business, I'm in the service side of the business, we have a bunch of different service companies, but technically it is the service side. And so that human interaction and that, you know, networking is such an important piece as I've heard you talk about on other things that you've done, it's critical. 
And that coupled with just trying to evolve and, you know, understand technology and learn more about the different things and what's going on. And I have a younger brother who has a podcast. He's in uh, fire protection. He's a fire protection engineer. And he noticed in his industry, there was very few, if any, podcasts. And so this was something, he's about six years younger and he wanted to have something that he could do and be passionate about. And so he started one. And I remember at the beginning thinking like, that's really cool. And just got to see all the really awesome things that came out of it, right? Like all the networking that was happening. He was talking to all these people that he would have never otherwise had conversations with. And he's just telling me all these benefits. And he's like, man, you should really do this. He's like, you know, you've, and for me having, you know, our own companies and having these things that, you know, we've built, it's kind of like, he was like, this could be really powerful for you basically. And was like selling me on, this is something that you really need to consider doing. And so that was the backdrop. I also got more into just learning about technology and, you know, really viewing social media and some of these things more as a viable tool versus just kind of a novelty, right? It's like, it started out as just like cats and sweaters uh, memes or whatever. (laughs) And you think it's funny or it started out with people on LinkedIn was like very much considered, this is just a place to go look for a job, right? Like this is, you get on here and you go to find a job and everything was very, I want to say transactional on LinkedIn. It just felt very much like people were trying to sell you on something. Like you'd get a message from someone that was, hey, buy this thing from me or use my service, or you were getting a recruiter reaching out to you. And I think I viewed everything through that lens and, you know, starting to see things evolve over the last couple of years. I think it's speeding up kind of rapidly, but seeing companies that are doing creative things like webinars or podcasts or, you know, just putting themselves out there, putting out interesting content and really watching their following grow. And being like, man, I feel like I just started getting this feeling like I was missing out on on that. And I think, and I've heard you talked, actually watched an episode you did, I think it was with the Wildcatter guys, and you talked about some of these things too. And it just, and I think one of them maybe mentioned, well, early on, this kind of stuff might've been viewed as, hey, don't do that. That's, you know, that's a risk. You're taking a risk by putting yourself out there. And I think that's really changed. I think it's become, I mean, look, we're in like the TikTok era, right? So yeah. if people can get on there and like lip sing stupid songs and just be goofy, then I think getting on and having like a professional conversation with somebody about, you know, business related things or entrepreneurship related things, I don't think that's all that bad. And I think so people are kind of getting desensitized with the other stuff that we see on the internet to where I feel like it's made creating content like this, whether it be video or audio content, just more acceptable. And so all that together, I decided, hey, this is something I want to try to do. And took a leap of faith a little bit. And for me, part of it is we talked about this just briefly is that the, you know, I wanted to do video and we can get into why here later, but I also was like, I want to make this try to look good. And so I got like gear and did all this research because I felt like that was almost kind of a, oh, you know, it was like a way for me to get over the fear of doing it. Right. I was like, if it looks good and if it sounds good, even if I don't look good or sound good, at least that kind (laughs) of like shields me from it just helped me get over the hump, I think. I got and you. Me, and it was also gave me time to delay, right? Like, I think this thing with content is you can delay it and put it off until you finally just have to kind of jump off the cliff and hit post. That's kind of the story and, and, and where I'm going with it, we'll see. I'm trying to be broad. That's why I used Talk Energy and the domain was available, Energy, which I thought I liked. I thought it looked good. And then also, you know, I'm trying to do, I mean, obviously my background is a lot of oil and gas, but I'm really trying to do more just broadly across, you know, energy is such a huge space touches all of our lives. And it also is something that at the national level, at the news level, the political level, it's just a very interesting topic to me. And so I didn't want to be, you know, stuck in one category. A lot of people were telling me you should just be like the midstream podcast. 
And I thought about that for a, for a long time. And I was like, you know, this is something I could really talk about. But then I thought about longevity and where I wanted to go with it and how it could evolve. And I just felt like leaving it a little bit broader, knowing that I'll probably have a bias towards oil and gas, especially at first with the guests, but over time, hope to get into things like tech or the energy transition stuff with the renewables. Yeah. You know, everything from that to power markets to end users. I mean, there's just so many things you could get into with energy. So, so that's where I want to take it, but, but yeah, that's basically the story. No, that that's super fascinating, man. And it's, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot that you've covered there, but I mean, the fact that you kind of took an idea and, and the thing is, it's funny because I talk to a lot of people and, and everyone has good ideas, but so few actually execute on them and, and put thought into action. And, and you're a perfect example of like, okay, I have this idea. Brother comes up with, you know, kind of motivates me and you put it into action. And I bet you the ROI is far greater than you would have expected in this short time. And I say that because everyone that I know that's got into this space or who started putting content onto LinkedIn and, and really just, you know, from a selfless perspective, putting out valuable information and really trying to like, you know, better the ecosystem instead of doing it for their own reasons, it's showing and getting over the hump of that fear is something that a lot of people have done, especially over 2020, and it's helped them grow. And it's amazing to see. And there's a few things I want to talk about. But before we get going any deeper, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor. So Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast is sponsored by Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frac automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. So before we get going down even further, last week in financial markets was crazy. Did you get into the whole hype of GameStop and AMC and all that stuff? <laughs> and I got into the hype of it. I wish I would have got into the stock whenever it, before it took off, but right? I watched it. I'm not a big day trader or like that I get into a lot of stock stuff. I just I have my stock investments and most of it's like long-term, just kind of buy some with every paycheck. Yeah. But I do follow some of the stuff. I do own a little bit of Bitcoin, which was fairly recent purchase. I got it. I was going on the way up recently. And for that one, I just felt so left out. <laughs> right. I didn't buy like a big amount, but I just was like, I have to buy some of this. So I got the Coinbase mm. and I bought a little bit just so I could feel like part of the club. Right. And the GameStop thing was fun. It was just, it's just funny to watch these things on the internet and to see kind of how these viral things can take off. And I know there's like a lot of symbolism around like sticking it to the man or whatever, you know, with the hedge <laughs> funds and all these things. And that's, that's cool. But for me, the more fascinating thing that I kind of just marvel at is just the power of these like networks that you can get these people together and these things can go viral. And it just shows you in today's day and age, I mean, there really wasn't much, if anything like that historically, right? I mean, it had to be like a major news network or you know, it had to be something that came down from almost the government for that many people to know about it, right? Back in the day before you had mass media. And so now that we can be in this era where anybody or some Reddit thread can make something take off like a rocket, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it, it is. And it just goes to show you the power of the internet. And and when you get enough people to band together, it's fascinating what you can do. And especially to disrupt financial markets, it sucked me right in. Like for, I think a couple of days, I was just, all I was doing was reading Twitter and Reddit threads, but you know, it's, it's crazy because of tying it back into what we're doing, it's people are now realizing, you know, 
we are relatively speaking globally, like this is the land of the free. And if you want to do something, like you don't have to stay in a box. And as long as you're willing to accept the risk associated with what you're doing. And a lot of people, obviously at that point, you know, being 20, 30 years old, not having much to play with and just like going all in on something like that or whatever it is, podcasting or whatever. Like I encourage everyone get out of your box and just see what happens. Cause you'd be surprised on what you're really, truly capable of if you just go in. But anyway, so well, it's leverage, right? You have the leverage with, you have the leverage that you have with this technology. And I mean, like you have a voice. So to you earlier, you talked about the power of putting yourself out there and have, making content, like you can put something out. And, and, and I think people get mixed up. There's a lot of people that just, it's all self-promotion and it's all trying to sell you on something. And that can work in some ways. I'm not saying cold calling or, you know, reaching out to sell something can't work. But I think this other idea of just giving, just giving to the world, like giving content, like giving your time, doing something that's authentic, something that's genuine, and then using the leverage of technology to amplify whatever that is, I think it was really powerful. Yeah, no, it is, man. And so kind of more on the personal side, Max, so are you, where are you joining us from today? Are you in Oklahoma City? Is that yep, right? I'm out of Oklahoma City. Okay. Is that where you're from? I'm actually from Bixby. So South Tulsa is where I was born. I was born in Tulsa, grew up in South Tulsa. Bixby is the name of the town and it's a suburb of Tulsa. And then in, when I was 14, so my dad's a geologist and in oil and gas, obviously. And he switched jobs. So when I was 14, we moved to Oklahoma City. I went to Edmond, which is a suburb. Oklahoma City. And then I was there from ninth grade to 12th grade. And then I went to Oklahoma State and was at Oklahoma State. And then after that, I came back and have worked in Oklahoma City ever since I graduated. Gotcha. So from Oklahoma, you live in Oklahoma. I mean, it's funny because I work with folks in Oklahoma. We've got operations out in Oklahoma. And I feel like everyone from Oklahoma loves Oklahoma and they don't want to leave. And people that end up having to move there hate it, but then they love it. Like, what about Oklahoma like keeps you there? Because I'm from Calgary, Alberta. I've moved all over the place. I've been in Oklahoma probably a hundred times. I don't know if I would live there, but like for you, like what, what keeps you there? I'm always interested. Is it like the cool zoos and stuff like that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think it's, well, I think the secret in oil and gas, we like to say here is that if you can be in this business and not have to move to Houston, then you've really figured it out. But uh, oh, okay. Houston, I often get jealous that I'm not in Houston. It's fun. It's easy to make fun of it and be like, yeah, so glad that we're here. But at the same time, I see all the like fun stuff going on and networking events and things that happen down there. And so I ended up, I ended up being on a plane down there before COVID. I was down there like every two weeks or every other week. And so, but no, Oklahoma is one of those places just easy to live. I think And people, we like to say that people were really nice here. I don't know that they're necessarily nicer than anywhere else. It cut off on the highway, but I got in a big truck here just as much as maybe in Dallas or Houston uh, that <laughs> happens. Right. I mean, so. Yeah. We say that people are nicer, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. I just think it's an easy place to live. And it is, especially when you're, I think when you're younger, it can be one of those things where you get a lot of FOMO of wishing you were in a bigger city and for good reason. I mean, there's a lot, you know, Oklahoma City has a limited amount of jobs uh, in terms of the industries that we have here. And so maybe bigger cities are good for that. But I will say that as an adult now with kids and a family, it's just an easy place to live. It's got all the amenities that you would probably want. And, and then as a professional, you know, the really cool thing was when I first got into oil and gas and the energy industry, Oklahoma city was, was a hub, man. I mean, it was, it was blowing up. And if you looked at like Chesapeake, when I was there, I think at the peak, we were running 174 rigs, which was by far the largest drilling company, not just in the U S but in the world. And then just in the group that I was in, we were running 64 rigs, which would have been the second largest drilling company in the U S just if you took our group. So 
you know, I think that it was almost like there for a while, almost like a little mini Silicon Valley, which people will make fun of me for that, saying they're Oklahoma City comparing to Silicon Valley. But there was just all these startups, all this innovation, all the technology and things that were happening here in the city. And if you look at the activity levels for, you know, US onshore, which is the name of this this show, I mean, it was this was the this was the place to be. And so that in and of itself from a professional standpoint was just incredible getting to be around that. And I think that now you see this tree of people that are now CEOs or leaders of companies, founders of companies that have all kind of branched out from Oklahoma City. Some of them are still here. Some of them moved to Houston or Dallas. But you know, Oklahoma City, I think, is not it's not as where it was probably 10 years ago in terms of the or 10 to 15, the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, things have slowed down a little bit, but I still think that there's an amazing amount of entrepreneurship and just a tight-knit community of really smart technical people here that have done a ton for this industry. So so yeah, it's a little bit sleepy and it's maybe not this big city, but there's some pretty cool things and some pretty cool people here. So it's a, it's a good place to be. Yeah. No, I, I started going there back in 2000, I want to say 14. We had picked up some rigs for a company that no longer exists. <laughs> yeah. There's a few of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I would stay in Edmond and sometimes downtown. And then, you know, through the years, it, it actually evolved. And now downtown has some really cool hotels the restaurants, some some restaurants that you guys have there, like remind me of some restaurants that are in Austin and, and even, you know, some of the more, I guess, hit places, if you will. And the one I actually stay at now when I go up there is 21, the museum hotel. And I mean, it's such a cool spot. And so there's these little hidden gems within Oklahoma City that I don't think a lot of people give enough credit for, but it is a neat place. I mean, the people there, the culture, I admire it. And, and it's definitely you know, summers when I when I go there for business, I always enjoy, and I do have a lot of good friends that live there with work. John Michael, or well, I'm Kevin his name, but anyway, I've got a bunch of buddies that that live there, and I mean, I always try and hit up the Lifetime Fitness there in Edmond, so I'm very familiar with Edmond. But anyway, I'm curious. We we t- talked a little bit about John David Willimon is the one I was thinking of, and I apologize if you're listening. I can't believe I stumbled on that. But anyway, sounds like he has like the long name. So he does. There's All so right. the, <laughs> there's a John Michael Novinsky who I know in the industry, and my buddy John David Willimon. Anyway, so podcasting. Let's get back to that because I think it's interesting, and, and people have heard your podcast. I mean, again, they've either seen it because it's on YouTube, they've listened to it because you've got it on all the platforms. And so, so what made you, and you kind of touched on it, but I mean, is it tough aside from your day-to-day to, to put in the production, to put in the time? And for people who are curious about podcasting, now that the podcast market, I don't know if it's flooded because I think it's going to just continue to evolve and expand and, and grow, but is it necessary? And, and what have you learned kind of going through the process of, of getting things to where they are now? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is the time management of it is it can be as much or as little as you want it to be. You know, you can automate things like I have people helping me out. Like I've got some group called RGB Studios out of Tulsa, some friends of mine that they helped me with the video editing. I tried to edit like the first episode and just was going to take way too much time. And so just decided pretty early that I need to automate some of this stuff and and it's formulaic you know podcasts are very formulaic right you've got an intro you've got maybe like you did earlier you have a sponsorship thing and you've got this kind of set formula and questions and you kind of get into a groove which I'm still just getting there I think I've recorded eight episodes at this point so I'm still early on but but you gotta get into the groove you get your formula down and then in terms of like people wanting to do it 
I think that anybody can do it. I mean, we talked about it before too, but like you can go all in on gear, which I kind of have gone overboard on gear because it makes me feel better. Like I, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's like a safety blanket, right? Cause I have yeah. nice gear, but you can do it with just a cell phone. You don't need like, you know, really nice stuff and you can do it without any editing at all. Right. And there's new apps like the clubhouse app, which I just followed you on that, by the way, this yeah. morning. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. We're doing some- do one of those soon, but yeah, there's apps do. like that that are going to make it even easier for people to get their voice out there and to practice, right. And to just say, Hey, I want to have a conversation and I want to broadcast it. And so for people that are interested in doing it, I think that it is very doable. And my suggestion would just be to start recording them and just listening to it. And then at some point, if you're serious about it, just put one out. And it doesn't have to be a podcast. It just be content in general. If you want to write an article or a blog post, or if you want to write a, just a regular post or make a meme or make an inspirational quote or whatever you feel like you think is something that you could want to post. If you're not posting anything, then no one knows. It's like this saying that I used that made me kind of get over the hump of feeling like I needed to you know, get out here and put myself out there, which was, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it really make a sound? And so you could be the best, whatever you are, right? You could be the best engineer, marketing guy. You could be the best drilling guy. You could be the best finance, whatever you are. And, you know, start to think about how many people you really interact with day to day. How many people do you really, even on the most aggressive, you're a BD guy, like even on the most aggressive week, if you like hit it hard, right? Like how many phone calls can you really have? Can you have what, 15? If you did, you know, 20 calls. I mean, how many call 25, like you did five calls a day. I mean, how many meaningful phone calls could you really have? How many lunches can you have a week, right? Five. And there's only like so many things you can do to reach out to people. And so then if you really put yourself under the microscope, which I did, it was like, well, how good am I doing? And I didn't feel real good about it. I felt like, especially during the pandemic, I was like, I don't feel like I'm really reaching anybody. I'm not having lunches now. I'm not, you know, you call everybody in your contact list. And then once you've called them all, it's like, okay, well, maybe I'll call that guy again in a few months. And so for people that are interested in the content stuff, I'm always open. I mean, I'm new to doing it and I'm sure you would probably say this too, but if people have questions or want to talk about it, I'm happy to give advice of what the limited things that I have learned. But I think a lot of it's just having an idea of what you want to do, putting yourself out there, and then eventually you have to hit post. So, you know, at some point it's, it's nerve wracking, but just, just keep in mind, people are in the scroll and the scroll goes quick, right? Like they look at it, even if it's one that's not one that wasn't your best post, well, they're probably going to be scrolling past it in about a millisecond. And then your next post, maybe it'll be better and they'll stop on it and they'll really like that one. They'll give it a like or something, but just don't be too nervous about putting it out there. So that's been, that's just kind of my general advice on it. No, I love it. So, and something I, I didn't even, I wasn't going to ask, but I'm going to, cause it kind of piqued my thought is, is you seem like you're a pretty self-aware individual. Would you consider yourself like, you know, because you, you tend to like, it looks like you kind of look at yourself and you're like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I, you know, here's what I'm about. You always have a good understanding of where you are and where you want to be and how you got to where you are. Speak a little bit on, on leadership and, and maybe your career. Cause that really is, is also interesting to me. Cause I know you've been on the commercial side of oil and gas pretty much since you've started. So, I mean, that's probably a two-part question, but yeah, I mean, are, are you big into self-awareness and, and really kind of analyzing yourself? for growth? I mean, can you speak on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very much kind of addicted to the self-help and to the growth type stuff. And you can probably tell. And even that stuff, I think people can sometimes kind of roll their eyes and be like, that's corny that you read, you know, whatever book it was. You know, I, I really like to get into these like kind of self-help books and I read those things and I try to push myself to be better. And, you know, my dad always says, and I don't think he made this thing up. It's, it's one that's out there, but it'll be like, Hey, you know, like what got you here? isn't necessarily what's going to take you forward. 
And so if you're not evolving and if you're not looking at yourself and saying like, what can I do to be better? I think that you're probably at worst, you're staying still. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you're probably moving backwards. And I think time can go by so quickly not to get too philosophical, but like, no, I love it. I'm keep going. It's easy to just like get into your job and be good at what you do and you show up every day and it's, you just, you kind of, you get your job done and you're busy. You've got a family maybe, or maybe you've got whatever your pursuits are outside of your job and time starts going by quick and you look up and it's like five years later and it's like, well, what have I really done outside of just the track that I'm on and how have I really progressed? And so whether that's like physical fitness or whether that's, you know, these self-help type things where you're, whether it's leadership. And if you're not kind of like pushing yourself to do something new, then you know, I think most people think, well, I'm just status quo, but I think in a lot of ways you're maybe moving backwards in some ways because the people that are moving forward are probably passing you. And then also just everything that's changing. Like the big thing for me has been technology and that's been the big eye opener and just Mm -hmm. learning that the power behind it and trying to change my mindset around that. This is just something that I used to roll my eyes at, but there's really power there. And so, you know, pushing myself to say, you know, I tweeted or I posted this quote, from Jeff Bezos yesterday. And I actually got it from a Twitter thread and I posted the thread too, but it was something along the lines of like, if you're not changing your mind all the time, then you're vastly underestimating the complexity of this world or something like that. It basically, to me, it's like, I think about that and it's like, you need to be open-minded and open-minded, not just to new ideas, but to looking at yourself and saying, have I been doing this right? And not be afraid to to be honest and be like, no, I haven't been doing this right. Like I didn't, you know, to tie it back to social media and the LinkedIn thing, like I didn't even have a profile picture for a long time. Like I hadn't posted or done anything on LinkedIn. I was just like what I call a lurker now, the people that just lurk, <laughs> which is fine. The lurkers, that's good. We get, I get podcast listens from those people. I'm convinced because way more people listen than like it, which is fine. But that was kind of the camp I was in. And so that was one thing that I had to force myself to say, well, why is this this way? And is this really beneficial for me to be this kind of like mysterious figure with no picture that doesn't talk to anyone it's like, well, that's not, you know, cause you're so caught up in just like trying to do your thing, right? You're trying to yep. run your business or you're trying to grow your company or you're trying to do your thing and you lose sight of some of this stuff. And so that's the first part of the question is the self-help and the betterment definitely into that. And I can't remember what was the back half of what you asked. I oh, I, I just, it. and then I kind of leading into to your, your career. So again, I mean, shifting gears and I don't know how I made the connection between that and your, your career, but anyway, I am curious about your career because there's obviously a lot of, there's a lot of things happening right now on the commercial side of oil and gas, there's the energy transition. And so to, to start things off, have you always been interested in, in business and finance? I mean, obviously with your dad being a geologist, you, you've got you know, oil, and, oil and gas in your blood, but why the financial side? Is, is that something that's always interested you or did you just kind of like throw a, throw a dart and that's where it landed or tell us? Well, I didn't know that. what I wanted to do. And I didn't, my dad actually kind of pushed me at least early on sort of away from oil and gas just because he had been through all the ups and downs and had, you know, had times that were tough in his career and the end of his career was really great. But there were times along the way when, you know, been with the company for a long time or get let go, or we all know, right? We're living through one of those times right now, right? I mean, those times that we're in like right now are the times that make it really hard for people to want to stay long-term in this business. So he even early on, like when I was going into college, he was kind of like, look, you don't have to get into oil and gas and you should really look at like other things. But, you know, I I got an internship when I was at Oklahoma State, I got an internship with the midstream company and I got put into the business development group. And I just immediately was like, number one, this is super technical and interesting, right? Like learning. I remember sitting in the first meetings I was in 
and you know, people are talking about MCFs and MMBTUs and compression <laughs> and pipeline capacity and cryo plants and all these different things and NGLs. And I just remember thinking, you know, kind of having this lofty self-worth that I was some smart, you know, I consider myself intelligent and a smart person. And then just being like, you don't know anything like sitting in this meeting and just being <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. that was like exciting to me. Right. It gets back to this like self-growth thing, which was a, uh, Hey, I want to learn that thing, you know, and there's so much little stuff in this industry. That's almost like a different language. And so that really interested me. And then the, B the BD part of it. So, so it was all that technical stuff you know, coupled with and working with engineers and working with these highly technical people, and then coupled that with this very nuanced, very human driven aspect of it, which is business development, right? It is forming that relationship or creating that network. And the cool thing about BD and commercial and midstream and all these things that I've done is that it's almost kind of like this really broad, I mean, you do a little bit of everything, right? Like you're you're interacting and you're maybe giving a presentation to the company that you're talking to. So you're having to, you're having to speak in front of them. And so there's a human element. You're having to work with the engineers to understand how to build the systems and the complexities around that. And it is complex. Like the question, for example, how much capacity is there? That's the loaded question, loaded, most loaded question in the industry, right? So <laughs> what are you talking about? You're talking about pipeline, compression, plant, downstream, end user, you know, it's like you could, you could take that all the way to the burner tip. So there was all these like really technical interesting avenues. And then also you had the finance side, right? As every deal, there was all these levers. So you could look at it fees or fuel or all this, you know, these different things that it just seemed really interesting to me. And I just felt like immediately, I think I was really lucky because I mean, cause I'm not going to put everything on me and my abilities. I think in life there's these, you put yourself in positions, right? And then you, you can get lucky. And I think I got lucky to get into a job early on that I felt was fascinating and that fit my skill sets really well. And so after that internship, I went, I was in, actually went to grad school. I graduated in 09. So it was a really bad time, <laughs> right? Because of the, it was like the great recession, right? So, and I had some job offers that were non-oil and gas. And I just was like, instead of taking a full-time job, I was very fortunate. Again, there's some luck and fortune involved, but had the wherewithal financially to say, look, I'm going to take an internship instead of a full-time job. And because I think this is more interesting in a career that I could want to be on like a trajectory and then go to grad school and got an MBA and then continued to do internships and work in oil and gas and then left and went to Chesapeake. And then there again, got really lucky. I got put into a position where I was at this company that was at the cutting edge of everything that was going on. And I'm not saying they did everything perfect. There's plenty of criticism Right. You can, uh, everyone's like, you're part of the cult. You can like <laughs> criticize me about, you know, loving the Chesapeake days, but there's plenty of things, trust me. And I can be the first one to tell you a lot of the different things that we didn't do right. But for all those things, there was just an incredible place to be. And so from there, you know, I just kind of in moving into the entrepreneurship side of what I've done, I really haven't changed what I do. I just, I've, you know, I talk about this in a LinkedIn post recently, and it is, Three things. It is one is, you know, quantifying basically the, I think I'm going to say these out of order, but basically like having specific knowledge. That's the first thing, right? So all those things I talked about, which is no matter what you are, even if you're just like, I don't care how marginalized you feel in your job, right? If you're an entry level, whatever, or if you are the administrative assistant, or if you are the, I don't care what you are, you could be the janitor of something, right? And I'm not downplaying any of those roles. I'm just trying to think of a role that people may say, Hey, this is not that big of a thing, right? I just have yeah. this knowledge in this one thing. If you have specific knowledge, there's a ton of value there. 
So, and don't ever underestimate that value. And so that's the second thing, which is if you have specific knowledge, learn how to quantify what that value is. Like, yeah, I don't know if you ever think about it, but think about like how much money is the company I'm working for making off of me? Cause they are, they're making money off of you. And a lot of, I've said this before, if it's a good company, they're probably making a lot of money off of you. And so understand your specific knowledge, craft that knowledge, get really good at that. Then understand the value of what that knowledge brings. And then you have to start thinking about, okay, how could I use leverage to amplify that? And so I don't mean debt. I just mean any type of leverage, whether, whether that's a business partner, that's a form of leverage, right? Because now you have two people instead of one. So you can do more. You have ideas that can combine and it's one plus one equals three. Networking, that's leverage, right? The social media stuff, the podcast stuff, that's leverage. I mean, obviously financial leverage, like with real estate, you can, you can borrow debt and you can, and you can make an investment of, you know, a $20,000 investment to buy a hundred thousand dollar property. And so you can make appreciation and income off of $100,000 when you only have $20,000. So that's leverage. And so it's specific knowledge, it's quantifying the value, and then it's amplifying it with leverage. And I didn't know all that when I started doing entrepreneurship. I just knew that, I mean, I, I did it at the core level. I did, wasn't able to articulate it. Yeah. And I've articulated it through reading these books and doing the self-help stuff that I've done and following some people that I like to follow. I've, I've learned how to articulate it. But back then I just knew hey, I'm doing this work for my employer and they're making a lot of money off the deals that we're doing. And then it, I found myself in 2014 in a place where I was looking for my next job and was doing some consulting and then was seeing the value I could bring to small companies. And that was kind of the genesis of Vancova. And we can talk about that later if you want. But from a career standpoint, that's how I got into what I'm doing. And I love it. It's just a very exciting and fun part of this business. And I also, I mean, and the podcast stuff is great too. I mean, I just try to gravitate towards things that I like doing. Right. Yes. And so if I'm interested in it and I'm passionate about it, that's what I want to do. And I've been very fortunate. And so that's an interesting point because a lot of people right now, I would say a lot of folks get into positions where they, they work and they're, they're working at a job that they may or may not enjoy. And where the, where the value is for them is, is the monetary value, right? They get a paycheck and really they live for Friday nights and the weekends. And it's like, oh, I can't wait for the weekend. And then Monday comes, it's like, oh, I can't wait. You know, here's Monday again. And and you hear a lot of people like, you know, do what you love and, you know, pursue happiness. But do you think that you have to kind of like go through the mud to be in the position to do what you want and what you're passionate about? Or, or do you think sometimes that, you know, and it kind of goes back to like kids coming out of high school and, and doing what they think is like the traditional way to success. And for them, they may not even know how to define success, nor do they know what success even looks like other than what their parents brought them up and led them to believe. What can you speak? And I guess my question is, what can you speak on pursuing happiness, but then also, you know, you know, paying your bills and doing this? And because obviously from a financial perspective, you need to have some sort of income to be able to do what you want. Some people want more, some people want less, but can you kind of touch on that and your thoughts on that? Sure. I love, that's uh, a great topic. I love thinking about pursuing happiness. I think this is something that we all struggle with and something that certainly I think a lot about and ha have thought about because even somebody, even when you accomplish things, I think you can sometimes feel like you're lacking or like there's something that you're chasing. But I think that, you know, with this idea of going after something that you're passionate about, or going after something that, you know, for example, just makes money, but it's a job that you hate. I think you just have to be realistic about like what will make you happy, right? I mean, because I know, I do know people, and I'm not joking, that really don't care that much about having money. They are truly kind of in this like happy state where, you know, they need enough to survive and, 
And, and it's not just people like somebody who's this like vagabond that doesn't work. I mean, I even know people like at big companies that they just, they go there and they clock in at eight and they leave at five and they are completely content. Like they are happy with that. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing. That's a right. good thing. Like, I think you, those people are critical to make this whole thing work. Like you need people, all different types of people yep. to make an industry and to make companies work. And so I think people need to be realistic about what makes them happy. And I think that's what's so hard about picking a career, or picking a path is when you're 18 or 17, whenever they make you pick a major, you don't know what makes you happy because you're 17 or 18, yeah. right? Like, you yeah. know what makes an 18 year old happy, but you don't know what makes a 35 year old happy or a 50 year old happy. Right. So I think that's, it's kind of one of those things where people will say, yeah, pick something that, that makes you happy. I think one general piece of advice that I've had, that I have, that I give people is that it is. If you're looking to pick something that you want to get into, you know, one way to think about it is look, there's a spectrum, right? So there's really technical professions like engineering and science. And then there's really non-technical professions, you know, whatever that may be. Like, for example, pick on marketing because it's, it's, I mean, there is some technical things in marketing, but in terms of like compared to engineering, it's on the other end of the spectrum, right? Like if you're in a business or a college setting, you know, you could have one end or whatever, call it creative writing or you know, whatever it may be, something that's, that's not engineering, there's not a lot of math and science on the other side of it. And so what you figure out or what I figured out is that it's really easy for people that are engineer or a finance guy or somebody to go into marketing or to go into some other non-technical job. And so I think that people that can get into stuff early on, like if you're going to look at a degree and you say, you know what, I'm not crazy about accounting, but I know that if I have an accounting degree, I could probably go over and do this more creative thing or this more non-technical thing or this sales thing later on. But the sales guy's probably never going to be able to be an accountant, right? Like you can't go, it, I'm not saying never, but it's hard to go back and forth. And so I think that people pick these paths and they make these decisions like at a young age to say, hey, I want to go and I'm going to get this degree and I'm going to get a psychology degree, and then I'm going to get a master's in psychology. And then they found out that they've like narrowed themselves into this very specific thing. And then if something changes and you realize like, this isn't exactly what I wanted to do, like maybe like, you know, and I've have even had friends that have gotten like gone down the path of being like a dentist or something, put in like 10 years and they're like, I hate working on teeth. Yeah. You know I mean? so it's like, <laughs> I'm not necessarily, and that's a technical one. So maybe that's a bad example. But my point is, is that like, I think going in, looking at what you want to do and knowing that maybe you don't have it figured out, but if you're going to put yourself on a path, maybe think about putting yourself on a path that can be easily to jump, that you can easily jump to other things. And so for, you know, somebody that's unhappy, I think that number one, you can do anything. And I'm like a very big believer in my parents, maybe to a fault, always told me that you can do anything you want. And I don't know, people will be like, that's cocky or that's arrogant. I just, I just believe it. I just believe that you can do anything you want to do. And I don't think that anybody can tell you and people will argue with me about it and say, you know, some people will never be an entrepreneur. Some people will never be. And I'm not saying everybody's going to be successful at everything they do. What I'm saying is that you can do anything. And yeah. so the people that are unhappy, I would encourage them to think about what would make them happy and start making small steps today that are going to put you on the right trajectory uh, to where you want to be. And, and I think that life is kind of, it's more about trajectory than it is like where you're at. People get very focused on where they're at and where they've been. You should be focused not even on like these near-term milestones. You should be focused on the path of where you're heading. Like what's your trajectory, right? Like, because you may not get there in one year or five years, but if you're on the right trajectory, you could get there in 20 or in 15. It's just hard for people to think long-term like that. So I'm kind of rambling, but to bring it all home, I oh, would it's say great. from the perspective of finding happiness in your job, I would say my general advice is to pick something that's that you can jump from one side to the other side, right? So if you're into business, 
maybe pick finance or accounting so you can go to marketing or human relation or HR later on. Or if you're into, you know, whatever it may be, something that's created, maybe pick something more on the technical side. You could jump to the less technical. And then if you're somebody that's stuck in something today, just know that life is long and just start making changes right now. They're going to put you on a path to where you want to be because it's not going to happen overnight, but you can get there. That's right. No, I, I love it, man. And the thing is too, it's funny is I don't know if it's social media or influence just from, you know, our environment, but people oftentimes think like, oh, I'm, you know, in my late twenties and you know, what am I doing? Or, you know, even in their thirties, but the reality is, is like, you know, assuming we live to the average age of 75, 80 is like, we have, you have so much time. And that's one thing that like, I even tell my wife, my brother-in-law and the people that are like really in my intimate circle that oftentimes kind of reflect and think, you know, like, what am I doing with myself and this and that? It's like, some people like have lived with their parents until they're 35. And in 10 years, they're, they're far further than where they ever thought they could ever be and have achieved things that they would have never otherwise thought they could have. And so, you know, be, be patient. And just because your buddy, you know, may have you know moved out, got married, had kids by the time he was 28. I mean, again, it's like, you cannot compare yourself to anybody else. And that's one thing that I think that we have a hard time with you know, in society is really looking at everyone else and comparing ourselves and constantly, you know, just stacking ourselves up against the next person who we think is, is successful or, you know, is, is happy or, or has the things that they, you know, want. And so just to supplement, really, it's, it's, you know, you really should only be like, who cares what everyone else is doing as long as your loved ones are being taken care of and, you're pursuing, like you said, every little bit day by day, kind of pursuing the things that you want. That's what's important. And like, you know, I'm 34. I feel like I have two or three lifetimes ahead of me, like 10 years ago where I would have never thought I was here. And in 10 years, I'm going to be young and still have half of my life to live. And so that's one thing I, like, I always try and encourage people is like, think how much more time you have. And if, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to have the seasoned vets in our industry that are, you know, maybe in their 50s, 60s and 70s, I mean, you'd be surprised on how fast you can, sh- you know, you can shift and and create and do, you know, whatever it is you want. So, but again, don't want to go down the rabbit well, you hole. You touched but- on a few things real quick that I really like. And yeah. one thing is this idea of like time and how long you have. And I've had, thinking of a few specific people, and I've actually had this happen twice where I've got to kind of do this mic drop. But basically I've had people be like, hey, I don't want to go. I don't have my college degree. This is one story. And, you know, if I start back now, I've lost a lot of these credits and, you know, yeah. I'll be... I'll be 35 by the time I, by the time I can graduate from college. And then you just say, well, how old will you be in five years if you don't go back to college? And they're like 35. And I'm like, yeah. So you should yeah. probably just like, you know, like you're only just moving forward. <laughs> and so why not put yourself on the trajectory <laughs> to hit the goals that you want? Quit being, quit thinking like, Hey, you know, it's going to take me X amount of time to get there. It's going to, that time is going to go by anyways. What are you going to be doing during exactly. that same period of time? And then the other so thing true. about comparing to yourself to people, which you mentioned, which I think is can be super destructive, but it can also be interesting in some ways from a thought experiment. You can look at people like a lot of these industry moguls that we even in our business, like you look at guys like even like Aubrey or Harold Ham, like Oklahoma City guys, it wasn't like in their 20s, they were these billionaires that they are today or their 30s even. I mean, some of these guys, and I can't remember the exact timeline. I mean, I think Harold was doing some, he was doing some impressive things, but they had ups and downs and they really weren't this like, tycoon mogul person until later on in their life. Right. I mean, it took them. And so that's an extreme example, but you see but that no, a lot. You see guys that are like, Hey, you know, these 
multimillionaire, you know, they're just seem like they're crushing it in life. And they're like in their fifties and you talk to them and they're like, yeah, I didn't really find my way until like my mid to late forties or whatever. Some people even later look at like the, my pillow guy, that guy, yeah, yeah, like a crackhead or something. I don't even know his story. <laughs> he had some serious problems. That's mean. I don't know what he really, he had some problems. Yeah. He had some, some, some issues. Right. And he's now like, you know, this huge multimillionaire. I've never used his pillows, but it's just a good example <laughs> of somebody that like clearly was on a very destructive and, and bad path that is now, you know, accomplished more than most people could ever think to accomplish. So this idea that like, I got to compare myself to my buddy that got really rich and or that did the successful thing in five years or two years or one year, that's a trap, first of all. And second of all, if you want to compare yourself to somebody, look at all these other people that just it happened for them later in life or at some random moment. So don't think that it can't happen because it can. Yeah. These types of conversations I love because you could just keep going. And, but, you know, I, I want to respect your time first and foremost, but I do want you, if you could talk a little bit about Ancova, because I think it's really interesting and in what you're doing on the business front. Yeah. So with Ancova, we started in 2014 and that's about when we were incorporated. I think it was like the end of 2014. We started doing some consulting and really it was taking the skill sets that I learned at Chesapeake and prior in my career around the midstream and commercial side and doing that for a lot of small and mid-sized producers. And it, it started out just, hey, I thought maybe I might go work for one of these. It was really that wave of private equity teams getting backed kind of in that same time period. And I thought at first, well, maybe I'll go work for one of these groups and then started doing consulting for one. And then Mark and I, my partner, used to be my vice president at Chesapeake, him and I teamed up and we had like from two clients to five clients to a dozen clients. And what we found was that Number one, they didn't have our expertise on staff. Number two, and I'll talk bad on midstream companies, but they were just like, they prey on these guys, right? And so if you don't have like the expertise, you've got like a landman or a finance guy or an engineer or geologist or somebody negotiating your contracts, you're probably getting taken advantage of it. I'm not saying it's like a sinister thing that they're doing. It's just their job. Like they're trying to make money. And if you don't have somebody that knows what they're doing, looking at this stuff, then you're, you know, you may, you're probably leaving value on the table. And so we saw that. And then we also saw that it was very tangible. So if I could go to a company and save them 10 cents on a gathering agreement, or sometimes much more than that, some 20, 30 cents, and then you multiply that times the reserves, this is, we're talking tens of millions of dollars that you can bring. And so unlike an attorney or somebody that's just a cost center, not that, again, I don't pick on attorneys, but they can add value <laughs> I too. Do. But the point is, is that a lot of these businesses, like, you know, it's a big cost center for a lot of these service companies, a necessary cost usually, or you wouldn't use them. But what we felt like was that we could not only be a cost, but we could bring tangible value and show companies. And, and that played out and companies saw the power with that. And then we also were doing a lot of midstream negotiations and helping people did some deals where we negotiated like partnerships and joint ventures and helped companies put the infrastructure plans in place that they needed to develop their assets. And this was a time, even though prices had dropped, I joked when we started Ancova, I was just married, had no kids. Oil was like $100 or $85. And then like six months in, I had my wife was pregnant with our first kid and oil was at like $28. <laughs> I was highly stressed with where I was at, but it turned out to be great. But so even during that time, people were blowing and going because of all the PE money coming in. And so there was a lot of drilling, which we were very fortunate, again, timing wise. And so we were helping people put these infrastructure plans together. And we did some, some big joint ventures. And there was just a lot of, we had some clients early on that had some big success. And so we rode that way. We were able to point to, hey, we did this deal for this guy and they made a lot of money. And that word of mouth kind of spread. And then in 2016, we started, we saw a niche on the marketing side. And so for the marketing, what we found is that it was a very opaque marketplace where it was very hard to tell where these guys' 
where they were being incentived. It was just such a black box, right? You've got yeah. a marketer comes to you. Hey, let me buy your product. I'm the best deal. Well, how do you know he's the best deal? Well, you go bid him out. Well, if you don't, if you're a guy that doesn't know every market that's out there, then you maybe bid him out to one or two other guys. Maybe you're not talking to the right guys. Maybe those guys are also misaligned in some ways too. And so there's just this big black box around, am I getting the best pricing? And you know, the other thing is that there was a, there's just misalignment in that side of it, right? Cause you've got these guys that traditionally marketing is all about arbitrage. So it's going and taking a position in the marketplace, whether that be transport, whether that be you own trucks or you own a injection point for oil or you own transport on a gas pipe. And so once you take out that position, you have a liability, right? You have to fill that position. You've spent money on trucks or you've spent money on getting that interconnect with that pipeline, or you've entered into a firm commitment to where it's take or pay. You've got to deliver gas or you've committed to a market to deliver gas. And then those same people are now going out and saying, hey, let me advise you. Let me be your advisor, right? I'll be your advisor. Listen to me and give me an exclusivity to buy all your product. And I'll do all the stuff that ain't like what we're doing on the consulting side. Companies were saying, we'll do all that stuff. But, but let, let me buy your product. And what yeah. we saw with that is I was like, well, how are you going to be an advisor if you have this huge financial incentive to direct the product at this market? Right. And so now I won't pick on anybody, but there's a lot of companies that have made a lot of money taking, for example, people's drill schedules and their development plans, and then going and making bets downstream and locking up market and then selling the product. And we just felt like this is misaligned. Like there's, there's this, this, this lack of transparency, lack of alignment. And so with our model, it is, we take no price risk. We take no positions in the marketplace. It is truly a brokerage. We help, we buy and resell the product. Everything's back to back. We've got this wide breadth of connections and knowledge on the market side. And we'll bid it out to, you know, oftentimes 15, 20 different markets, whether it be for oil, gas, NGL, there's really not that many players, but you can still bid mm. out NGLs too. Yep. And it was just this, like, our thing was ruthless transparency, just as transparent as you could get fixed fees. You always know how much money we're going to make, which can come back to bite you because people see the invoice, right? But yep. these other guys are hiding it in some margin that they make downstream. But that was the model there. And we've had success with that. And we kind of bundle those services together and it's, it plays off each other, right? Like if we're doing consulting, a lot of times we'll market. We don't always have to do both. Sometimes we'll just be doing just marketing for somebody. Other times we'll be doing just consulting. And then the, the third business that we started in 2018 is Encova Midstream, which is an infrastructure investment commitment that we raised from a group out of New York called Pinebrook Partners. They're a private equity backer. And we raised a $200 million commitment there to look strategically at oil field infrastructure investments. Wow. And we had one gathering system that we built and then exited. We built it in 2018 and then we're able to exit out of that in 2019. It wasn't a huge deal. It was kind of a push in terms of the success of that one. And then we went into 2020 really optimistic looking at asset deals there too. And we built out an asset team and a technical team to look at investments and it's just been a, it's been a slog through 2020. I mean, COVID hit yeah. and nothing transacting, but very optimistic for the future of that business. We've got some really interesting assets that we're looking at and we're trying to be fairly flexible. You know, we've looked traditionally at midstream, but you know, we're open to really anything that's in the oil field or, or even in the energy transition side, we're looking at some interesting things there as well. And so those are really the three businesses in buckets. It's a little bit confusing for people. We need to do a better job of messaging. We're working on our website. We're going to do a new, we're trying to revamp the landing and all that stuff. As I get into this technology and media stuff, we need to really refine our messaging because we do a lot of different things. But, but basically it's everything on the side of selling the products and creating value once the products are created out of the ground is really the easiest way to say it. 
I wish we had another hour to burn because like we didn't even touch on business and I had a ton of questions I wanted to ask you. And let's hop on a clubhouse soon and we'll uh, right? we'll, we'll talk. We can. Hey man, I, I know, yeah, we'll definitely do that because I know it's a JP Warren, a good buddy of mine, Donnie Davis, a few of the other ones. We're just kind of just kind of feeding, you know, we're pumping clubhouse. Hey, come on, we'll feel folks. Like, let's JP get on and this. Get on at four o'clock today, man. Hop on. Yeah, we're yeah, no, I today. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. So <laughs> My schedule in the afternoons is, is super tight, but I'm going to try because my wife has, I give her their 4.30 gym time every day. So then I got my two kiddos. And so I'll hop on for a few minutes, but then I'll probably have to go outside on the trampoline with my two and five-year-old because sure. that's our- that's important too. It, it is, right? But no, I love it. And and I, I really, I'm going to do a round two with you because there's a lot of things that I want to cover that we didn't, but this has been a fantastic episode. And, and I do have just a question before we close out a little more on the personal side, not too invasive, but don't, so don't worry. So kind of going back to, you know, reflecting about yourself, do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success? whether that's in the morning and the evening, but is there something that kind of, kind of makes you recharge or refocus to then be able to execute at a high level each and every day? Yeah. I wish I had a better answer on this one. I used to have more set things that I tried to do, you know, wake up at a certain time and do these certain things. But now that I have three kids that are five and under, and then all these different company things that we're trying to do most days, I am in a pattern, but it is typically like a pattern of survival and reactionary more so than I wish that it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do have certain things that I do. I like to read. I like to listen to, I like to listen to audiobooks as well when I can't read. You know, I'd really try to spend time with my kids. Like that's one thing that I do in the mornings that I've kind of evolved over the years. Like I used to be this like really early riser that goes into work really early and just like gets this big jump on the day. And now I'm still an early riser because I have little kids that wake up at like 5.30 or 6 in the morning. But I really try to spend time in the morning with them because I, you know, and this goes back to a LinkedIn post I did. I won't go too long on this because I know we're short on time. But you look at your day and you break it down and there's a pie chart and you can find it. I think it's on my featured if you scroll through. But it talks about like how many hours in the day there are. And then it's like it breaks it down and it's like how many years of your life you'll spend on screen time. How many years of your life you'll spend driving. You know, all these different things. And it says like, you know, this is what's left. And it's just like this tiny little sliver in your life that you have unallocated. And so if I can spend more of that with my kids in the short period of time, you know, when I'm older and they're out of the house, I can go into the office at that, at that time. So for me, it's been really, it's helpful for me. And it really has rejuvenated me, especially in COVID. I focused on it more is just making that time for the family in the morning and in the evening, because it's just such a brief moment. And for me, that gives me energy and it gives me perspective. I think it's not necessarily the best. I mean, sure, it might be better professionally if I was in the office working, but at some place you got to draw the line. So that's something that I've really tried to focus on the last few years is just like carving out that time. And if I get in at eight or eight thirty instead of seven or seven thirty, yeah, probably I think it's worth it. No, it is, man. And and you know, our kids, they love us more than anything in the world and they look up to us so much from the time they're born till they, you know, become you know, whatever teenage years, and they always look up to us as parents and, and, but like really that, that time from the time they're born to, you know, there's, there's sort of that crossover, you'll never get that back. And a lot of people that I talk to that are, you know, older, it's always interesting talking to, to older folks. And you ask me, you know, what's one thing you wish you would have done different. And almost every single time they said they would have given up tons of money to spend more time with their family. No one says they would have worked more. No, Nobody. no, it's not. And so like, I encourage anyone who out there who has young kids, yeah, you want to hustle, you want to grind, you want to make money and, and just consume, consume. But like, just don't forget like your kids and your family and the ones who love you the most are going to be there. Money will come and go. 
jobs will come and go, but like your family and that, that sort of that structure that you have at home is just like the most important thing. And without that, you know, you can really get lost. And so I, I admire that, you know, you gave that answer. And so with that said, before we log off here, I'd like to take a few moments to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for March, 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, our OGGN Here and Now live event on March 4th at Churrasco's in the Memorial area of Houston, Texas, and the Texas Wildcatters Open at Black Horse Golf Club in Cypress, Texas. Next up, we have our three online events, Sarah Week from March 1st to 5th, Transformathon from March 1st to 7th, and the TAMU SBE Career Enhancement event on March 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for March. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Great. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Max, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you, talking with you. We're going to do a round two if you're open to it. But what's the best way for people to reach out to get to know more about you and, and what you're doing, your company, talk energy and everything else? Sure. Just hit me, hit me up on LinkedIn or you can go to Ancova's website. You can hit me up there. There's a contact page. It goes directly to me and some of the other people. It gets filtered to us as well. I try to do a good job on LinkedIn of replying to people. That's something I try to do. So yeah. uh, so that's a good way. And then if you want, you can, uh, I will put one self-promotion plug is, you know, if you want to follow the podcast, you can subscribe on YouTube. It's probably the best way Perfect. or follow us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. And that's a good way to keep in touch with what, what I've got going on. Awesome, man. Well, you know, super pumped to see where you're headed. You've done a lot in a short amount of time. It sounds like the world is yours. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Right. Thanks, Justin. I really appreciate it. This is fun. You bet. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.